presented by the American Petroleum Institute. Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm Rachel Bade. It's Tuesday, August 1st. President Joe Biden announced yesterday that he was going to be keeping U.S. Space Command in Colorado. That reverses a decision from former President Donald Trump to relocate U.S. Space Command to Alabama. And you can probably guess this is going to only escalate the fight between the White House and a certain senator named Tommy Tuberville, who's been in the news quite a lot lately. Obviously, Tuberville, we have reported in Playbook recently, has been holding up more than 250 military promotions and confirmations in the Senate over his objections to a Defense Department abortion policy that he wants to see scrapped. Now, the White House and allies of the White House are claiming that this has nothing to do with President Joe Biden's face-off with Senator Tuberville, that this was just the smart thing to do, that it would take time to relocate, and that Colorado is a good place for U.S. Space Command. But, of course, Republicans see this differently. We are already hearing from folks like House Armed Services Committee Chairman Mike Rogers, who, by the way, is from Alabama and would love to see this relocation, blast this decision by the White House as playing politics and basically the left trying to keep a red state from getting these new government jobs in Alabama. So we'll be watching that closely. Second story of the morning that we are following the House Oversight Committee yesterday heard from a longtime associate of Hunter Biden, Devon Archer, testified behind closed doors yesterday that President Joe Biden, when he was vice president several years ago, would be put on calls with folks that Hunter Biden was working for. This is like foreign companies, other people he was sort of advising. Archer told lawmakers that while then-Vice President Joe Biden didn't talk about specific policy matters that were important to these companies or foreign individuals, getting on the phone with them through his son, Hunter Biden, certainly created this sort of illusion of access. And of course, Republicans say that is problematic, given that these companies were paying the vice president's son. And of course, driving today is going to be a ton of stories and headlines about the new FEC deadlines. And joining us to talk about all of that is our in-house data guru, Jessica Piper. Good morning, Jessica. Good morning. What were some of the top findings uh, in these filings last night? What surprised you? Well, obviously, former President Donald Trump, several of his committees were filing, and that's always going to be interesting. We saw Save America Joint Fundraising Committee, which is his main fundraising apparatus report, you know, more than $50 million raised, which is obviously a huge amount blowing any other candidate out of the water. And that's over the first six months of the year. Um, but there were also a couple of downsides for Trump in the filings. You know, to raise uh, more than $50 million, his campaign spent about $17 million on fundraising expenses. Um, stuff like text messages, digital ads, digital consulting, direct mail. Um, so that's that's a pretty high burn rate. And we also saw very high legal expenses for the Save America Leadership Pack, which is another one of his affiliated committees. So really good and bad signs for Trump there. And that's probably one of the biggest stories. Do we know yet, like, what percentage uh, of his incoming went to legal fees, given that he's, you know, expected to be indicted for like the third, fourth, I can't even keep track anymore, time? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to measure because he has so much money coming from different sources. One really interesting indicator is that Save America actually requested a refund um, from a super PAC, Make America Great Again, Inc., that it had previously given money to in order to help it cover some of the legal fees, which is 
the kind of thing that's technically legal in the world of campaign finance moving, but it's just, it's very unusual. And it's the kind of thing you'd only see when a, a group is really having a cash crunch like that. So, you know, we're seeing just kind of some, some strange things around that. And in terms of folks giving to Trump and um, that money going to sort of these legal fees, that's sort of baked in when somebody donates to Trump. Do we think that's right? Or do we think that this in any way could turn off big donors? Um, I mean, Trump got a significant share of his funding from small dollar donors, more than $23 million over the first six months. So slightly more from big donors still because he raised more than $50 million in total. So about $30 million, a little more than that from large donors. I mean, it's, you know, Trump talks a lot about his indictment on the campaign trail. So it's not like, you know, people who support him are, are unaware of this sort of thing. But it obviously, you know, it has become a significant expense for him. And Save America has taken on a lot of those costs. Now, Trump's camp has also indicated that he's going to start a different legal fund to focus specifically on legal costs um, that will be more separate from his campaign. So maybe people will have an opportunity to, to give directly to that versus to, to the campaign. But it's definitely unusual. So what else are you finding, Jessica, or what are you looking for today? What are your big questions? Well, one one thing I still have to do this morning is dig into some filings from Act Blue and Win Red. Um, those are the the primary donation platforms for both parties, and they file like everyone else on the thirty first. But their filings are so so huge that they are not at all possible to to process in any meaningful way until hours later. One storyline I've been keeping an eye on is the the dearth of small dollar donors and how across the board. Trump being a bit of an exception, but we've seen just lower small dollar donor numbers for both Republicans and Democrats compared to where they were at at this point in previous cycles. And so those two donation processors will give a lot more insight into, you know, where small dollar donors are at and, and where they're giving and where they're not giving. Well, you'll have to update us on that when you uh, crunch those numbers. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. The House and Senate are out today. And one housekeeping note for you this morning, Politico has a new podcast that's about to hit your feeds. Politico Tech launches tomorrow and is your daily download on the disruption that technology is bringing to both politics and policy. You can find Politico Tech wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Bade. Thanks for listening. Reducing methane emissions requires not just will and words, but actions. The Biden administration would benefit from hearing from the industries driving the most methane emissions reductions, including the natural gas and oil industry. U.S. methane emissions intensity from energy production is way down, and API's members keep innovating to mitigate emissions. With smart regulations, Washington and the energy producers can reduce methane emissions together while strengthening America's energy security.